Do you ever feel a bit intimidated or overwhelmed when you find yourself thinking about legal when it comes to your lash business? You're working so hard to build your dreams and achieve your goals, and those shouldn't go down the drain simply because you didn't know how to protect what matters most to you. I'm your host, attorney and friend of the lash industry, Tamson Horton, and together we'll learn how to protect what matters most when it comes to your lash business so you can confidently take your business to the next level and beyond with simple, easy to understand and action you can take today. You will never feel intimidated or overwhelmed by legal anymore. Welcome to part two of our four-part series that has to do with protecting you and your profits during and at and after your appointments. And this week, we are going to dive into part two, which this is all about highlighting and going through the legal issues and the practical applications of those when you are at your appointment. Now, last week, we covered how to protect yourself and your profits before the appointment happens. And we touched on your website privacy policy and your cookie consent, your client contract, your consent form, your photo release, your client intake. And then we did have a discussion about reservation versus deposit fees and your cancellation policies and the timing of your email reminders. If you didn't catch last week's episode, you might want to pause this, go back to last week and start at the beginning because some of the foundational pieces that are happening before the appointment now come into play with the legal issues that are happening during the time of the appointment. So as promised, we are going to pick up with the no-show policy. Now, no-shows are going to happen life happens. We both know that there is a difference between life happening and totally blowing someone off. And as the business owners, we have that discretion. But part of our responsibility is making sure that we've thought through our no-show policy. Now, that comes into play with One of the before an appointment legal issues, which is your client contract, your client services agreement, where you lay out your specific expectations and the consequences of a no-show. You need to be specific what counts as a no-show, what are the consequences, how are you handling it. And again, you have ultimate discretion. So I'm going to rewind. This is a completely personal experience. I had a haircut appointment on a Friday. Well, unbeknownst to me, I ended up in the ICU on a Monday night. I almost died. I caught the flu from my son. It triggered my um, health I went into diabetic ketoacidosis. I did not know that I was a type 1 diabetic, but I was in the ICU. I was there for a week. I didn't know what was going on. When you talk about life happening, complete instance of life happening. So when I was able to call and get, you know, let my hairstylist know that I would not be there for the appointment on Friday, they had absolute discretion and did not um, 
charge me their no-show policy. And But I knew I needed to call. I knew I needed to explain the situation. I had a history. I've been seeing the same person for years. So they knew I wasn't blowing them off. They knew I wasn't taking advantage or being disrespectful of their time. But life happens. So, And I, as the customer, knew what the no-show policy was. But I was in the ICU. I had a lot of things going on. I'd honestly completely forgotten about my hair appointment until I got the text reminder letting me know that I had the appointment. So again, those online schedulers come in very, very handy. So when you're faced with someone who has a no-show, this again is where we're going to come back to that reservation fee versus a deposit fee. If you missed part one, we really talked about that in that episode, so please go back and listen to that. Or you can go to lashinglegally.com and on the blog, search on reservation fees and deposit fees. I have talked about this quite a bit. For if you're using a reservation fee and it's part of the booking process so that when I reserve my time with you, I'm paying the reservation fee, which secures that time slot versus a deposit fee, which if I wanted to argue it as an attorney, a deposit completely goes against the service or the product. I never showed up, so you really can't charge me a deposit. Reservation fee, not so easy for me to argue my way out of that. So if I no-show, that reservation fee has effectively worked as a no-show fee because I didn't show up for my time. Now, you are not initiating that triggering of charging when I am not there 15 minutes into my appointment. That is what I want you to not do. Okay, now this is the, I am a cautious attorney. I am a proactive attorney. I like preventative medicine far more than I enjoy cleanup and it's why I do, never practiced areas of law where there was a lot of intense cleanup because I always found myself working my working my way back to how do we prevent this in the first place? How do we make it so it never happens? That is who I am by nature. So the advice that I'm giving you, <clears throat> please take that into context that I am an overly cautious, preventative person because I know We don't have time for legal headaches. We don't have, you know, if you have other responsibilities, I myself have two small children. I have my business. I have my husband. I have my life. I don't need any other messes. Like, I don't need any messes anywhere. So if you and someone doesn't show for their appointment and, yep, you no-showed and now I'm going to initiate a charge on your credit card. Well, to do that, you have to have those credit card numbers somewhere. Now, that first and foremost is a big no-no in my book. You do not want to act like a bank. You're a lash artist. You are not a banker. If you're initiating and triggering charges, that means you have the numbers. Like I, and I'll use a real life example, my um, hair salon doesn't store my credit card numbers. Now, their policy is that if you miss an appointment before you can schedule the next one, you have to pay for the missed appointment. That's how they handle it. So they know if you want to come see us again, you have to pay for the appointment that you missed. That was how they chose to handle it. But they don't trigger or initiate 
the charge. Because if you do that, you have to have the numbers, which means you have them stored, which means you have some way of exerting control on them. You're going to trigger banking laws. Don't do that. Okay. There's no need to do it because simply evaluating the business policy and the business decisions of what is it you're trying to affect. So let's use my own hair salon as an example. They are trying to make sure that you don't have repeated, I'm going to classify it as bad, bad disrespectful behavior to their salon time. If you miss it and you did blow them off, it was disrespectful. Yes, they have discretion, as in my case, they absolutely have discretion, but they also don't want those as customers. That's fine. You missed it. You blew it off. No problem. You want to come back. You just need to pay for that. And that is a completely rational, easy to understand policy. Okay. That's how they've chosen to handle it. So, however, you're choosing to handle your no shows, just think it through, but do not initiate a charge. Either charge a reservation fee because that goes against the time, completely legit, or similar to my salon, have a you missed it. You did blow me off. It was disrespectful. I am exercising my discretion. And if you'd like to, you know, book your next appointment, here's the outstanding balance, whatever you decide that needs to be. But the one to avoid is the, they didn't show 15 minutes in, I have the ability to initiate a charge. No way, no how, don't do it. That can get you into trouble. So just don't even open the door. There's no need because there's two very easy ways to address the situation. And I'm sure there's multiple multiple other ways you could do it. But those are two very clear-cut ways to address um, and kick the uh, initiating a charge legal issue out the door. Now, they're at, they come to their appointment. Okay, it's not a no-show. They've arrived at their appointment. Now, seriously, now is your time to shine. You have taken care of all the before the appointment issues so that now as your customer arrives, you can simply serve them in the ways that bring you joy. And this is 100% protecting you because you're not trying to remember to get the intake form, the contract terms, the consent, the photo releases signed and filed away. You're not doing any of that. Again, we did touch on all of those in part one of this four-part series because you need those things taken care of. But that's not your area of expertise. You don't want to devote your time or your focus to that. They're at their appointment. Now is your time to shine, to wow, to serve, to go over the top because you don't have to think about anything else except your area of expertise. So there, the appointment goes beautiful. You lashed your heart out. It was great. The lashes turning turn out absolutely perfect. And now we're going to circle right back to that photo release that you had your client complete as part of booking their appointment. Now, let me dive into the essential elements of a photo release and why this is important. First and foremost, who are the parties? On your photo release, it's going to identify who are the people that are forming this contract for all 
purposes, it is a contract. You're laying out expectations. You're identifying what is part of this photo release. So for all intents and purposes, it is functioning like a contract. And when you're identifying, legally speaking, who's a part of this photo release, you want to make sure that it's you as the business or the employee and the client. And especially for salons where employees are involved, the photo release needs to be for the business and not the individual employee. Same goes for you as a lash business. You want the the relationships to always be between the business and the client, not between you as an individual person, even though we are one and the same. I am still myself, even though I represent my business. But when I'm representing my business, I sign contracts differently. My business has an entity. There is a legal separation, and that is important. So legal parties, who is the photo release between? That's essential. Secondly, how are the photos going to be used? Are they marketing? Are they educational? Are they diagnostic? Give the information to your client as part of the photo release and also a way for people to indicate their choice. So the nice thing is when we're using this as part of that booking experience as our online scheduler gives them all of these forms, keeps it seamless, makes it incredibly easy, they could check, okay, I want to use the photos for marketing, educational, and diagnostic. Well, if all they check is diagnostic, then I know, yep, I can't use yours for marketing or educational purposes. Now, if they decline all photos, then you never take them unless there is a diagnostic necessity. Like if there's something going on and I do not um, know all of the different issues that go into lashing, but I have seen and I have listened to enough of your um, incredible talks that I have been privileged enough to get to hear. And sometimes you might need to take a picture and send it to someone and say, what is this? What is going on? What would you do? That entirely different, but just lay that out. Um, If they agree to the photos, then also at that same time, ask them how they would like to be tagged on social media. Because if you're using it for marketing, that's what you're going to do. Getting that information at the time that they're booking means that you have it. It's correct. It's written down and it's backed up with your privacy policy. And now you can just spend time on taking really good pictures. You're, again, not trying to write down, oh, well, what should I tag you as? And do you want me to share? And can I use your name? None of those questions are elevating the experience at all. And you want to elevate. I mean, you want all of this is designed to benefit you. It's not burdensome. It's not designed to be burdensome. It's designed to protect you and protect your profits. That's what it's designed to do. That's why I love legal. I mean, legal is just it's such a moneymaker and it it's part of my own personal um, excitement and joy when I get to share with people, legal's not this ball and chain. Legal is literally making the money. Like legal is there to scale the business, to, you know, make the franchise, to ma- turn it into licensing, to expand product lines, like all of those things but it is basics. It has to protect you. It has to protect your profits or none of that stuff happens. Now, you also, if you're doing photos, make sure that you know the difference between a minor 
photo release and a standard photo release. So a minor is, again, being used on anyone who is legally classified as a minor. And you want to make sure that if you're taking pictures of minors, that you have a proper minor photo release in place, that it is signed properly um, because you just don't want to... uh, You don't want to mess up a normal photo release, but you really don't want to mess up a photo release with anyone who is legally classified as a minor. Other parts that you're going to have in your photo release are the duration of the photos. You really don't want there to be a time limit on a great lash picture. So make sure that you have, you know, there's no duration. Distribution. Now, due to social media, you have to secure permission for worldwide distribution If you are using any pictures on social media, the minute we post it, it is worldwide distribution. Now, this isn't a big deal. You just need to have it written down. Payment is another piece. You don't want a client coming back after you for compensation because you use their lashes in a picture and now they are claiming a share of the money. Okay. A simple sentence about no compensation is given is all you need. Again, we're just closing down all of these potential doors so that they never are an issue. Now, once the appointment is finished, then, okay, we definitely do uh, want to be taking uh, payment. So that's when we we are going to take their payment. Now, (coughs) excuse me, accepting cash, okay? Just keep in mind that avoiding taxes is not okay. So, Accepting cash, paying in cash is totally legal. Making your cash transactions to avoid taxes is not legal. And the IRS does take that seriously. So they will actively pursue businesses, the IRS, uh, who underreport income and who pay in cash to avoid payroll taxes and other tax reporting and payments. So every transaction in your business must be recorded. And All your income, including cash income, must be reported to the IRS and taxes have to be paid on that income. Now, if your business accepts cash, whether it's payment for your products or your services, you just have to have a way to record that cash payment. Um, Some ways you can do that are a voucher or a cash receipt um, is one way you could pay it where um, I get my nails done. They each... um, Nail technician has a little pad and they write on there the services and part of the ticket goes with me up to the cash register and part of the ticket stays at their station. So those could always be matched up. If you have a um, way to take cash payment and record it, like a cash register, that obviously works. But if you're taking cash, you just need to record it. Most of the time, I think that is the exception. I think mainly we are living in a world now where things are done on our plastic cards. (laughs) So when you're taking payment on a debit card or a credit card, make sure you use a card reader. You're never going to want to enter the numbers. You're never going to store the numbers where you're the one with access. So like we had talked about in part one, Even with my systems that I use, the customer can check a box that says, yes, store this card. I'm not storing the card. That third-party tool that I'm using has a relationship with Stripe. They are storing the numbers. Stripe is 
having to follow banking laws. That is closely monitored. PayPal, I'm not touching the numbers. I have no control over it. Just like if I order lunch from Panera, there's a checkbox, store my card. If I don't check the box, they can't store the card. But if I check the box, it gets stored not with Panera, but with whoever Panera is using as their third-party system. So that is um, that is important. And your online um, scheduler is, again, making you money. It is saving you time. And all of it is earning you more money. So I want to come back to this online scheduler. And the reason for that is they've had their appointment, give them the opportunity to pre-book their next appointment. So they're with you, they're paying, they're you know doing that. Make it easy for them to pre-book the next appointment. Now, we're going to go into this even more next week in part three when we're talking about after the appointment. But while they're right there and the payment's going through, if you have an iPad or they can just pull it up on their phone, they could pre-book their next appointment. Now, if you want to incentivize this, again, we always want to reward the behaviors that we want more of. And pre-booking is a behavior that you want. You want them to book the next two weeks or three weeks, depending on the service that they've received, depending on the life of you know their lashes. And if you, I, I'm a huge fan of incentives. When it comes to what is super valuable to your client and not a really big thing for you. I'm not a fan of incentives that are deep discounts and discounting your work. No way, no way, no how. That's that's a lose situation for you. So for example, my husband and I, we lease our vehicles and he enjoys the whole negotiation process. I personally don't. Um, But I will come in right at the end when he's gotten everything down. And one of the pieces for me, and I will always walk away from a lease on this, is if I'm leasing your vehicle and I have two small children, I want the super duper fancy schmancy, all weather, super duper heavy grade plastic mats. And every time we go to negotiate the leases, the car dealership is like, well, okay, that'll be X amount of money. And I know full well that while it might be $500 for me to buy those mats, it is not $500 for the car dealership to get that same product. The markup is large. I also know that me using those mats protects their vehicle. That vehicle is coming right back to them in about 34 to 36 months. So I, by using those mats, and making their resale product that much more valuable. So to me, why am I paying $500 to protect your vehicle so that you can make more money on the other end? No way. So I always get my mats included at no extra charge. And they will hem and haw. And I will often tell them, look, I realize this is a win-win for you. Win, give me what I want. When it's not $500 for you and when your vehicle is not going to get destroyed by my two small children over the course of this lease. So that is what I mean by incentivizing. And sometimes, um, you know, we go back and forth and I'll be like, okay, 
if you can't do this, then I want no oil changes or I want you to comp me whatever the first, um, oh, maintenance schedule stuff. Like there's always ways. Now, you as a lash owner, just do that for your clients. You incentivize it in a way that for something that's really valuable to them, but isn't a big deal for you. Now, the when you do this, if you decide to do this, make sure you put it in your client terms. So again, we're going to come back to your client contract, which we talked about in part one, lay out what the incentive is. Okay. Put it in your client contract so that it's clearly identified. It's not an ad hoc basis. It's part of your business structure. And I'm not a huge fan of discounting services. I'm not. But there is a way that you can incentivize it where it appears to be a discount for your client, but it really isn't. And that is charge your regular fee for your pre-booking clients. Charge a higher fee for the very first appointment. So I like good whole numbers, so we're going to use whole numbers. Let's say they were booking a service that I would charge $100 for a regular standing appointment. That now becomes my pre-booking fee, and my initial fee is $125 or $130, $140. Whatever the number is, when they first book it, it's $125. When they pre-book it, it's $100. So to the customer, it does appear like it's an incentive to pre-book at the time I'm leaving my appointment. But to me, that's my normal fee. So when they don't pre-book, they pay a higher amount. I know it's it's splitting hairs, but that's different than if my normal fee is 100 and I'm discounting it to 75. I don't want you to discount your fees. You're way too valuable. Do not be discounting. And the other way to go when you're looking at encouraging people to pre-book is what are your favorite kinds of incentives to pre-book appointments that you make for yourself? Do you get any of those discounts? Do you get incentives? And make a list. Think about it. And then I always think, okay, would any of those be adaptable for your lash business? So I have no idea how I would adapt car leases and all-weather mats to a lash business, but maybe you have an idea. So if you do, um, send me a message with the link you can use. Um, it's linked wherever you're listening to the podcast, but if not, it's anchor.fm forward slash lashing legally, and you can send me a voice message and tell me your ideas that you might have for incentivizing pre-booking or if you have a question on anything that we've talked about. So quick wrap up for today on the legal issues that happen at the time of your appointment. We talked about no-show fees and how you don't want to initiate that transaction. Using your reservation fee that doesn't need to be refunded if there's a no-show. Photo release, what we want included as part of that photo release and why. And then payment, taking the payment and also layering in incentivizing your pre-booking of the appointment. 
Now, I'm not your lawyer, so please always do your research, talk to your attorney, and get the specific guidance based on your facts and circumstances. I want to educate you about the legal implications of your business decisions because every business decision has a legal impact and we want them to be positive. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. There is a full-length legal masterclass available on demand at lashinglegally.com. Until next week, where we'll dive into another topic directly related to helping you navigate the legal issues in your lash business so you can protect what you are working so hard to build. 